Ladies and gentlemen, do not adjust your settings. This is Kevin Kittredge, and this is Costume Station Zero. We're going to mix things up a little bit this week and uh, talk to the man behind the Costume Station Zero, the guy who uh, really kind of defines the ultimate costumer. So stay tuned, because this is the episode where Costume Station Zero jumps the shark. Make the approach for me. When one walks into Bob Mitch's apartment in beautiful, sunny California, there's no question that you're in the right place. You walk in and you see bookshelves and bookshelves filled with DVDs, with toys, with VHSs double stacked. There's a shelf right in front of me right now with 13, 14, 14 sonic screwdrivers of all different assortments. And they all belong... Yes, to Mr. Bob Mitch. Thank you for letting me interview you. Thank you, Kevin. It is amazing because your 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 apartment is pop culture central, generally stationed around the '60s. We've got the spy stuff. We've got obviously the Doctor Who, a great amount of memorabilia. One of my favorite things is the Bob Mitch as the Fourth Doctor, surrounded by four, five, six, seven, and eight Doctors. And uh, so many autographs, so many special moments. What do you see on your wall that, if you had to pick two things that are your most prized items here, what are they? Uh, certainly, the um, I have a large 30 by 40 Tom Baker poster with my favorite publicity still of Tom. It's from season 12 in his season 12 outfit. He's holding his hat and he's got the eyes and the look. Uh, and the little lens flare. That was a special poster I had custom done because I've never seen it as a poster. Why it's never been made as a poster, I don't know. But the world is a better place, I think, <laughs> yeah. if it were a poster officially made. Anyway, so I had Tom sign that for me in uh, 2010. And uh, it was a great story. It was great to meet him. And that's definitely up there as one of my most prized possessions on my wall. Boy, the other one would be tough. The apartment's on fire, Bob. What are you taking? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, boy. Uh, uh. Partly, I would say the Matt Smith poster, except I can always have that reprinted. So I think I would probably run out the door with the uh, the poster you described with all of the doctors, since that w all of them have signed it. It's pretty uh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, that is going to be difficult to fully replace. So yes, I would go with that. And uh, that shot, of course, uh, is real but not real because. I was there with all of the doctors, but that convention, they couldn't get them all together for a single shot. So it's an amalgam of a single with me and Davison, a group shot with McGann and Baker, and another group shot with McCoy and Colin Baker. 
So uh, this is all due to the magic of Photoshop and uh, the wizardry of Kevin Copa. So thank you again, Kevin. I mean, it looks perfect. It looks it, yeah, legit. No, it looks totally legit, and uh, I can't ask for a better photo. And so they are naturally reacting the way they did when I was there, but not all together at once. But weirdly enough, uh, recently, about I think last June, they did get all of the doctors together yeah. at Collector Mania. Did you go to that? No, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford it that time. But uh, they did get all five together for a shot, but... They don't look nearly as good. They're all like, <laughs> they're standing like they're in a, I don't know, like in a cop lineup or something. You know, they're just kind of, they're not directed well. And I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm still really jealous of any fan who got a real photo with these guys. But I just kind of go like, but the trade-off is I got a really idealized shot. Even better than the real thing. Right. And they all did sign it at Collector Mania. So there you go. I <laughs> sent it to Collector Mania and used their service and three of the doctors signed it there. So uh, I'm very, very pleased still with that that photo. And um uh, I'm uh, I'm glad to have it on my wall. So, uh, so yeah, those are probably be the the big two. So we're not. I'm not. I'm not even sure if we'll succeed in trying this. Eleven doctors. Yeah. The greatest American hero. Yeah. Zorro. Okay. Who else? Who else are your big costumes? Um, Captain Marvel. Captain. Oh, of course, Captain Marvel. Uh, Superman. Yes. Um, John Steed. Uh, okay. I am not. I don't know who that is. I'm sorry. From the British Avengers, Mrs. Okay. Peel. I thought I, I thought I told you. I never I never watched the Avengers. No, you never told me that. I'm sorry. Oh, Kevin, where's your geek card, man? To not even know about it. I understand if maybe you missed it. Well, but... I know who the Avengers are. I just didn't know. You're right. You're wow. right. I'm a bad person. Okay. All right. All right. Fine. Um, Terry, your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. For a long time, it was ah my boyfriend Bob. He does this stuff, and now she's totally in. She's I know. totally in. That yeah. must have been a wonderful switch for you. It was. It was. Um, and uh, I, I kind of knew she'd like it somewhat because she's always had uh, an inkling towards arts and crafts. And, uh, you know, she has an art background and she's a graphic designer. Um, and when we would go on these costume hunts, I could tell that she was into some of this. But obviously she didn't care about some of these characters I'm trying to put together. And um, the, uh, the switching point was in 2009, we started watching classic Star Trek when it hit Blu-ray. And uh, my friend Wally had a Star Trek dress. It was the red one, classic red Star Trek dress. And uh, on a whim, we kind of talked her into trying it on because she actually likes a lot of 60s stuff. She grew up like a lot of us did watching reruns of 60s programs. And um, she, I could tell she really dug it. She was having a fun time in it. So then Vicky... Uh, Scott's wife kind of said, I'll just make you a dress. And I helped, you know, get the material and so forth. And we made her a blue one. And then she kind of got into the, the 60s wig thing. And I think uh, it takes very little to convince uh, a woman to buy a pair of boots, <laughs> you know, uh, or footwear. <laughs> so, you know, it, it all started coming from that. And then I realized I could borrow some costumes to have her be ace to whenever we did the Doctor Who crew. The Batgirl outfit they had uh, fit her quite well because uh, it, it fit another friend of ours who has a very similar body type. And, uh, and last but not least, when we were superheroes in general, um, she got into the idea of doing Black Canary. And we put that together ourselves, um, yeah, summer of 09. And uh, that, was, that was a fun kind of project. And then from there, it just kept growing and I mean now look I mean she went and put together a femme pertwee for Gallifrey I mean it's kind of crazy yes no she, she's a great girlfriend for supporting this rather crazy <clears throat> hobby and uh, and getting into it so I mean heck we're already we're planning what the heck we're going to wear to WonderCon here shortly and, oh that's uh, right we haven't uh, we're still settling on that and she's still talking about because um, uh, you know we like the costumes we wear but we also understand that they're not always the most popular 
um, in terms of current pop culture. Um, so, uh, like, we're talking about Comic Con this year because we just got our tickets and everything. And uh, she's trying to decide what to wear. And I'm like, well, we have our standard stuff. We could just take a year and chill and not go crazy on a new costume, which, you know, th- those years happen. And she's still going, well, but it'd be nice to have a superhero that everybody knows because Mary Marvel she loves wearing it but she's not very popular so which is sad I know and she uh, she's already looking at well I could do retro Wonder Woman I could do Supergirl I could do Wonder Girl I could do Hawk Girl and we were just looking at more of these the other day and I'm like wow this is pretty cool and another part of me going like you know, it's like, and then I go like, well, depending on what she picks, this will affect what I end up wearing too. If we're going to try to, you know, be in the same universe or the same theme, and I haven't even decided exactly where I want to go there yet. We we can get into that later. But the point is, is that it's great. She's even still thinking, hey, no, I'm not going to settle on what I've got. We need to find the popular you know, something that I can wear. I think she got a taste of it when she was Batgirl at the Rancho Cucamonga Library Day we did a couple oh. of years ago. And all the little girls loved her. I mean, there was this one who ran up and, you know, uh, literally knocked her over uh, for a photo. And uh, I think, I think it, 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 yeah, it comes down to that. That and at Big Wow, uh, which was a comic convention we did in San Jose a year ago, almost a year ago. Uh, you know, she's Mary Marvel, I'm Captain Marvel. I mean, it was cool. Oh, I'm sorry, she was Black Canary. And, um, but yeah, we could tell that the big hitters were Thor and Spider-Man, you know, thanks to things like the Avengers movie and stuff like that. So I think it's that whole thing of, you know, yeah, we want to represent the characters we love, but we also understand that for certain venues, you need your, your popular go-tos. And I totally understand that. Um, I think it'd be fun to tell, tell how we got to know each other because I had a friend named Al Ah, yes. And Al was going to USC with you, mm-hmm. and you guys were roommates. And I remember coming over to, to visit Al, and we would watch wrestling, and you would put up with it. <laughs> and I remember seeing a Ralph Hinckley, was it, was it a bobblehead at the time, or was it just, an, just a standing action figure? And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> who, who else knows about the greatest American hero, and not only knows, <clears throat> but cares and enough to have this merchandise and of course it was you mm-hmm. and uh, and i think did you have the doctor who stuff at the time as well you must have what the costumes what do you mean well just uh just mer- merchandise just uh, um i would have had a lot of the tapes then and uh probably yeah some photos and, and posters yeah I, I had my 25th anniversary poster mm-hmm. so i knew that there were certainly elements of you that i liked mm-hmm. but we didn't get down to because that was downtown la mid wasn't it mid- okay mid wilshire we didn't get down there all that often. So I didn't see you all that often. But when I did, it was like, huh, interesting. And then you st- we started working at the same place, Riot in Santa Monica. But now we're skipping ahead about five years. But yeah. Well, but but w- what did we do in the in that mid-five years? We didn't really hang out that much. No, I mean, I, I'd, I saw you at, at things, you know, with um, with Alex or, or Rick. You're right. But it was always here and there. It wasn't, it wasn't terribly constant. <clears throat> and then my first introduction to Comic-Con at all was... Mm-hmm was I don't remember what year it was but it was a year that you went well when you went as Hinkley when when you what year did you go as greatest American hero uh 2002 okay so wow 2002 okay that's a long time ago <laughs> I'm sorry man <laughs> we're getting old <laughs> I don't know what to tell you man so so I'm working operations and and uh, you come in and this isn't this isn't Santa Monica you had gone to, to San Diego and you drove back and you were showing me these pictures. <clears throat> yeah, that was. I'm sorry. That year you're referring to was 06. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
you're showing me these pictures and I, I'm seeing you with all these amazing costumes. And I'm like, what is this? And you're like, it's San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm, right. I don't, I just, there's you and your costume. You found another Ralph Hinckley, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are the, there's two people who know about the greatest American hero and mm-hmm. they're not me. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first real drive that I need to see this place. I can't believe it. You, you didn't even know about it before that? No, I didn't. Wow. I mean, I, I guess I understand a little bit. I mean, I didn't even know about it prior to 01, which is the first year I went, um, thanks to my friend uh, Paul Hernandez. And uh, I can't believe I hadn't even heard of the thing. And it's like, I mean, it was big then. I mean, now it's like a monster to be reckoned with. But uh, yeah, no, that was... But you know, I'm glad you saw those photos, but you realize part of the reason you did was because I came back up to get my check. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Because I needed to spend more money on more toys and swag. <laughs> and um, But yeah, no, and that was the only year I made the stupid mistake of saying, I'm going to save money in a hotel this year. I'm just going to drive back to L.A. to sleep every night. That was stupid. I did find that was very that was very committed of you to yes. do that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, and I did end up staying at a hotel Wednesday night and Saturday night, last minute, and Justin and I, we went down just for that weekend because it was me and Paul and his friends for, like, the first half of that weekend. Then they checked out, and then I went with Justin uh, the remainder of the weekend. And um, that's when I met Mark Singer, and that was oh. also the same year my camera was stolen. Oh. Yeah, Um which, let me get to, to that in a second. But the point is, is that thanks to me having to drive back to L.A., I saw you and you got to see the photos. That's what I'm saying. No, I remember, I remember just, just being completely enthralled with all these, all these pictures. And, of course, uh, the gals, too. The gals mm-hmm. with the minimal clothing and you're surrounded by them. It's very, uh, very yes. exciting. Yes, there's lots of eye candy at Comic-Con. So, so, yeah, tell me about, besides your camera being stolen, your first foray. That was, that was, was that your first convention ever or was that just your first Comic-Con? Uh, in 06? Or you mean 01? We'll talk about 01. Okay. Uh, 01 was, yeah, was the first Comic-Con I'd been to. Of course I'd been to conventions before that. I mean, I'd been to Star Trek conventions and comic book conventions and so forth. But, yeah, Comic-Con was, boy, I, that was... Uh, Paul's often told me how uh, one of his best memories is walking into that dealer hall and watching my face as uh, I, I took it all in with, like, that kind of, you know, the you've entered the geek mecca, you know. Aww. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I was blown away. Because I, let me think, in L.A., beyond the odd Star Trek Pasadena uh, con I'd been to, I'd been to the Shrine Conventions, which are almost like flea markets now. You know, they're, they're when I swap me and we had a couple of guests, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I go into Comic-Con, and this place is huge. I mean, and back then it was only about 40,000 people. But, I mean, look, 40,000 people in 01, it's still, you know, a force to be reckoned with. And I was, um, I was really blown away. And uh, Paul and I uh, actually met because of our mutual love of Greatest American Hero. And I saw these people in costume, and I thought, this looks really cool. And I'm trying to figure out exactly what totally motivated me to say, okay, next year I'm going to be doing that. Um, aside from, hey, this looks awesome. And um, So I, I'm sorry, in 01 you were the Greatest American Hero at the time? No, in 01 I didn't costume. Okay. I was just there just doing my own thing. And I didn't even go the whole con. I was only there like half the time. I know Paul and I had talked about costume ideas for fun, and one of which, of course, was Greatest American Hero, another one of which was a retro uh, Superman uh, to do uh, the a black-and-white style George Reeves or Kirk Allen, or even more meta or obscure, um, do the black-and-white underneath-the-earth earthquake sequence Chris Reeve. If you remember that part of the movie, his costume looks black-and-white. 
because he's underneath fighting you know all the lava and stuff and that's not a costume you see very much so i was like okay I'll, that's also neat and the next year um i uh, decided screw it i'm gonna get a greatest american hero costume made because i love that show and uh and uh so i did i commissioned it from a guy i believe his name was captain spandex or something like that sure uh i know what else i mean this is we're now in earlier days of the internet folks what do you want me to say uh but he was a he was a cool guy uh he took forever but um uh he made a pretty good grace I mean, you saw it it's a pretty good copy yeah. how uh, much was it uh it ran me about 350 that's not bad uh, for a whole costume yeah so um, and then uh, the only thing with it was I asked for the cape to be longer just because I thought it looked cooler but then looking at it I'm like why did I do that it's not even accurate <laughs> uh, but you know whatever it, otherwise it was great it was nice dull spandex and uh, I grabbed some info off greatestamericanhero.com for the uh, symbol and I tried to model it as much on the pilot suit as I could because that's my favorite one and uh, I got to wear it at comic con in 02 Weirdly enough, that was like one of the only years that Paul got busy with stuff. He was there, but we didn't really hang out. So it was me and Justin and Simon. And uh, I had a great time. I mean, I only wore it for one day. But one of my favorite memories of, of being in costume was wearing that. And sure, I remember some of the, some of the what I call the booth babes. You know, the, the pretty girls that work the booth. That, sure. Yeah. They were kind of laughing at the me. The promo gals. The promo girls. They were kind of laughing at me a little bit because they didn't know what the heck it was. And I'm like, whatever. Like, if they don't know, then I don't care. Right. And, uh, but there was always somebody. And, of course, it was always someone my age or a little older. I'd be passing and I'd always get these great little comments. Like a guy who would get a photo and he'd be like, try to give you my best Robert Culp jaw. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> man, do it. And another person uh, uh, literally yelled at me from across the aisle and went, yes, yes, old school, yes, that's the way to do it. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I made that guy's day. That's that's what it's all about. So, yeah, there were a lot of good moments like that. I overheard guys even explaining to their girlfriends who I was. Like, you know, the girl's like, who's this red dude? And he's like, oh, he has this alien super suit, but he lost the instruction book. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, we know. We fans, we know. And uh, the last thing I remember about wearing that costume was, um, uh, aside from all the stuff with Simon, was I was climbing the escalator and I saw a little girl uh, clock me and she was clearly like, ooh, superhero, but then stopped and then did the head tilt <laughs> and then did like trying to figure out which superhero is it. And then instead of continuing to run up to me, she just kind of shrugged almost like, well, what? <laughs> I guess the world needs weird superheroes too and walked away. And I still gave her a wave. <laughs> and you know, moved on. My one regret with that costume that year was my wig was awful. I got, I, I just grabbed the best wig I could, but it's nowhere close to what William Katz's amazing hair was in 1981. Um, but uh, and the blonde wigs, I mean, your your eyebrows are dark, your hair is dark. Yeah, how did that doesn't? No, it that that didn't help either. That my I hadn't learned the trick of lightening the eyebrows either. So it, I, I'll find. I think I've already put up some photos, but I'll put up some photos again of it. And it look the costume great. Needed to get a better wig, and I need to lighten the eyebrows. But hey, you learn these things. So, so that's the first costume that you spent serious coin on. Um, mostly, yeah. I mean, look, I consider that my first proper cosplay because cosplay to me, while you could say it's any place you wear a costume, uh, for me it is always rooted in uh, convention wearing. Um, and I did costuming before this for Halloween and for uh, student films and for uh, you know parties and such. But I that was the first time that I'm like, look, I'm flying my geek color and I'm going to a convention and I'm representing this character that I love. Right. And so I do kind of that's that to me is like the next page of costuming for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around here to to your best experience in any costume. Mm. 
I, I would think the Matt Smith one has to jump up. Uh, the yeah, it's been brought up before in other podcasts. I apologize to anyone if I repeat stories from other podcasts, but uh, meeting Matt Smith in costume was was cool. How should I put that? I almost classify that as best celebrity or best group experience. Um, but that was really awesome. I have, a, I have a blog post about it, which gets into far greater detail. But the, the nuts and bolts were, uh, we knew Matt Smith would be at Comic-Con in 2011. And I kind of sensed that if we could get in front of him as a group of all 11 doctors, it would be fantastic. And I kept, I had like, it almost feels like I had my spies on the floor. Anyone I <laughs> knew who knew of where Matt Smith was, was always kind of reporting to me like, the okay. The eagle is approaching the nest. There you go. There you go. The eagle's approaching the nest. But of course, I would always miss him. And look, it's hard to wrangle 11 people at one time in the in, as 11 doctors. It's very, very tough. Um, it, it's just an unwieldy group. So uh, I was just trying to get in front of him, period. But then I thought, okay, here's the one time I know where he'll be, which was signing autographs Sunday after the big Who panel. So everyone planned to be in a doctor costume then. And we'd all converge on him there and hope that we could just, by sheer force of, look how awesome we are, we need a photo, we'll, over, we'll overtake them, basically. So, um, but a couple of us got in at the actual autograph line. So, uh, and then as the story goes, we go to approach the room after the autographs are over, and we had been hearing that, oh, the BBC don't, don't want you anywhere near him, no, they don't have time, and you can't have a photo, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, we walk up, there's no security. Don't ask me why. There's no security at this point. And there's most of us, all but Scott, who sadly, you know, had to go off to find his wife. So we're one doctor short, but hey, you know, needs must as the devil drives, I say. So you, uh, we, we burst through and we found them on the patio and CJ, you know, basically didn't, it was very nice and said, hey, we're all doctors. We'd like a photo. And uh, Matt Smith, once he clocked who we were, it took a minute. You, I could see the confusion on his face, you know, kind of wheeling to, oh, that's really awesome. Uh, and he came up and he chatted with us. We shook his hand. We took a bunch of fun photos, uh, one of which was Tumblr'd pretty frequently on BBC. And uh, that was that was the story. And then, of course, you know, he showed us off on Graham Norton. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really fun moment. I mean, that was that was big. But, I mean, as, as great as that was, I'm, I'm trying to think. It, hmm. See, I, part of me wants to say meeting Tom Baker, but that was just meeting Tom Baker. That's you know? its own category. That's its own category. Yeah. It's not... I was dressed as Tom Baker. I mean, the best part of meeting Tom in the costume was when I took a photo with him, and uh, I said, "Could we do the the City of Death hands up pose?" He's like, "Oh, of course, we have to." And <laughs> I, I put up the I put up my hand, and he puts up his hand, and then he takes my hand and lowers it about a foot, and he says, "Never block your face, dear boy." Nice. And I'm like, I got photo advice from Tom Baker. <laughs> I have not seen this picture. Oh. Why have I not seen this picture? Oh, oh, what are you talking about? You haven't seen this picture. It was on my... All right, I'll show you the picture later. I'll, I'll bust out the picture for you, Kevin. That's a great... I, I can't believe I haven't heard this story you, you haven't You haven't heard this? Oh, yeah, no. It, well, it, it gets better because then, like, I'm pose, I'm doing the pose, and this photographer was great. He, he would take a bunch of shots and just give you the best one. Nice. So in the middle of taking these shots, he got a nice... He was closing in. And as he closed in, Tom Baker just kind of moves in and whispers in my ear and he simply said this takes me back well, <laughs> it was just like what <laughs> like you know it was uh it was pretty cool for the group photo it was even better because i uh, i sat down and, and this is the one with like there was there were some other guests but mainly it was mcgann and, and tom and they were standing above me and i said hey tommy's like, hey good to see you again old boy and i said um this is gonna sound weird but could you feed me a jelly baby <laughs> and so i handed my bag of jelly babies he's like oh Oh, of course. Yes, of course. And he's like, I could come. And he starts coming around. He's standing behind me. 
He's like, he starts to come around. He goes, I could get down on one knee and offer it to you. And I'm like, no, that's okay, Tom. That's, that's probably slightly off what, what the intent is here. We're all laughing. And I could tell that Tom's trying to find a funny way to do it. So then finally he gets back behind me and, and I'm trying to find a good pose. And then he's like, all right, dear boy, just knock your head back and I'll drop it in your mouth. <laughs> And I burst out laughing, and everyone's laughing, and I've doubled over, and they and th- there's an outtake shot I have of it of me doubled over laughing while Tom has got a jelly baby in his hand, and and Paul McGann was even like, "Come on, Tom, give the kid a break, give him the poster <laughs> shot," and, uh, and so finally we we got pretty much the shot you see there. I mean, the that's a great story on so many levels yes. because I think the biggest thing that jumps out to me about it is Tom's having fun. Oh yeah, he had a lot of fun. I mean, we I think all of us and. Have have had the circumstance where we're going to a photo photo line and it's pose smile move along pose yes. smile move along. But yes. this sounds very personal. Very it was great. It was. Um, we got to get that guy over here. I know. I know. I know. And uh, I'll tell you, I really want to go back to England, not only to see more of England and such and see the experience, but I want to meet Tom again. So hopefully that will happen. Um, you know. The, the the big experiences I can think of, like, you know, as John Seed and Emma Peel, we got to meet the creators behind the Steed and Mrs. Peel comic book at uh, uh, oh, Comic-Con cool. 2012. And um, as uh, Captain Marvel, uh, we we got to really, um, you know, buddy up to some of the people behind the uh, Shazam, uh, the Golden Age of the World's Mightiest Mortal book uh, at Comic-Con in 2010. And they were really, I mean, just the reactions that certain, and you can tell that they're fans, they're fans from way back have is almost what makes it for me it's always finding that reaction like wow i may if it's if it's not a child or if it's not an adult it's 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 finding that special moment um what was i trying to think of the um i met uh, the director what's his name toby haynes mm-hmm. who uh, had directed a number of series six episodes of doctor who and i met him dressed as tom baker and this guy's flipping out <laughs> he's just going like oh my god look he's like you got the sweater you got the neckerchief you got the tardis key do you have the jelly babies and i bust out the jelly babies. he's like oh my god <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever, and you live. Those are the moments you live for. It's, it's, I, so it's hard to, to signify one big experience. I know when I was Superman, um, a big moment for me was uh, a little kid in his Superman costume just comes running right up, hugs my leg, and nice. says, "You know, hi, Superman. Can I get your photo?" I'm like, "Of course, of course, I can. You know, take a photo with you." And that was. Those are the moments you live for. I mean, that's. Those are the real stand-up stuff. I mean, the celebrity stuff is almost more for me. That other stuff for me is for them. You know what I'm saying? No, totally. Yeah. Uh, John Levine, when I was 11 that one year, when I still had my longer hair, right? he was gushing over, he was like, you've got it, you've got, it's perfect, you, everything you've got here, you, oh, great job, great job, and nice. I was like, I think a part of it was my facial structure and my hair, <laughs> <laughs> kind of similar to Matt's, uh-huh. but um, mostly your costume too, I think. <laughs> the, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, because that was the year you were mainly wearing my 11, I forgot yeah. about that, no. no, yeah, no, it's, oh, you know what? A good John Levine story is when I was. Uh, do you remember, do you remember this? I was dressed as the Cyberman. We were about to do the Brigadier skit that year, I think. And um, no, this was the year later. This is when we were going to do the Monster Society skit. So I'm dressed as the Cyberman, and I'm doing a little walk around before we go to the green room. And I happen to run into John Levine. I had run into him an hour earlier, right before his panel, and I said, "John, I just want to apologize. I'm going to miss your panel." Uh, but I gotta go get suited up as a Cyberman, and he's like, "Well, of course you do, Bob. Of course you do. I understand. I, I understand. But thank you for coming." And that we chatted, and I left. So I come back around. Now his panel's over, and he's coming out, and I'm dressed as a Cyberman. And he had already talked to some guy. Um, I think it was Steve, 
and his Dalek to come in and do like a little skit as the Dalek would come in and terrorize Benton or something. And then he sees me and he goes, Mr. Cyberman, Mr. Cyberman, would, you know, I'm John Levine. Would you mind coming in and being a part of this guy? I'm like, yeah, yeah, John, it, it's me. It's Bob. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I'm yelling through this helmet because you can't hear me very well. I'm like, it's Bob. I told you I was going to be dressed as a Cyberman. And then he just hugged me. He's like, of course it's you, Bob. Who else would it be? <laughs> and I did the skit for him. And that was funny. So I, um. You know, it was it was nice to get that reaction. Now that Cyberman is pretty fantastic. What came first? Did you come across the Cyber Head and and decide that you had to finish the rest of it off, or did you decide before you had anything, I'm going to make Cyberman? Hmm. Um, yeah, we put together the Cyberman uh, Summer of '08 for Comic Con. Uh, you know, the perfect thing to wear in July Jeez. in San Diego is Ugh. a wetsuit with a helmet. Um, uh, well, okay. As I mentioned before in our podcast, you threw down the gauntlet to me about putting together all the doctors in 07, and I mostly did it. I was a loudmouth, yes. and you took me seriously, which should never be <laughs> which done. Which should never happen. <laughs> but, but you got to be part of the doctor group, so how can you complain? Um, the next year, we completed the group, and I upgraded some stuff, and we finally got our first and eighth doctor in there, and that was great. And I'm trying to remember what possessed me to say... I'm going to make a Cyberman, but it wasn't the helmet. I mean, I knew I had to conquer the helmet, but it all came together at the same time. It wasn't like I had one piece and said, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, I think I think because I put together the doctors and I had to sit there and figure out how to do it all under a certain budget and how pretty good they came out and then how, okay, and here's how to approach it to make them better, where and when I can spend more money on it. I, I then just got in this whole mindset of how am I going to make a Cyberman and... Um, well, it was easy because I love the Revenge Cybermen. It's the Tom Baker Cybermen. They're, they've always been my favorite. But um, I quickly figured out those are actually also the easiest to put together. Hmm. Um, because, you know, basically you take a wetsuit, which is harder than it looks because you got to get an old-style wetsuit with no logos on it. And, um, you know, some old tubing. I shouldn't say old. Uh, Radio Shack electrical tubing. And I learned the trick here. Learned this the hard way. You have to pre-wash that stuff to get all the, the oil off of it and then paint it. Otherwise, the paint keeps flaking off. But anyway, uh, silver gloves and, and uh, you know, silver boots and uh, the helmet I found through the Cyberman Builders Forum on Yahoo. There's a guy in England and he made every single style of helmet. And I found him initially through eBay and then he put me to his group and then I said, look, I've got to have a Cyberman helmet. It's got to be 70s. And he's like, well, I'm doing a cyber leader. I'm like, I'll live with a cyber leader. <coughs> I want a cyber man. Was and it then, the 70s or 60s? It's the 70s. Well, it's similar to the 60s, but there's been some minor adjustments to it. And so he's like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And he gave me a good price, and that is the most expensive part of the costume. And uh, so once I had the helmet, I knew I was home free, because the helmet is where it all kind of lives. And then I jury-rigged the uh, chest unit out of ice cube trays. You really did piece that together. It's yeah, it's very modular. It's a very modular costume. I think I have a, a... CJ always makes fun of me about the fact... He's the last guy to wear it the last two times, and... Uh, I've got a like a two-page instruction of how to put it on if you've never put it on because I realize that you have to put it on a certain way like the Vok robot like the Vok robot but that's much simpler <laughs> uh, and you laugh because you're like no it's not but right. no trust me it is and uh, but the chest unit was initially put together from like uh, cardboard ice cube like ancient ice cube trays I found on eBay and uh, old speaker cloth for you know you know old oh, school speakers yeah yeah and uh, some some mesh and sandpaper and I think oh a wine box was the center and uh, and a, and the end of a flashlight I put at the bottom so that was the first chest it's not the current chest unit but that was the first chest unit 
and um, that's that's what was slapped together. I mean, it, look, it, it read. Absolutely. You know, it was like a $50 chest unit. Can't argue with that. You, you MacGyvered it. I MacGyvered it. And that's half the fun. And actually, I remember the original uh, caps on the shoulders. They're spice tins. And I still got a... I, I've heard they're actually soap tins is what they used. Um, but initially, I was going to use uh, mouthwash caps. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's the that's the ingenious thing about a Cyberman. The old school Cyberman is is finding those little MacGyvery ways to make it. I mean, I, I really liked making that costume, and if it's been slowly been upgrading every couple of years. And Malachi and I are talking about sewing a whole new suit for it, so I never have to paint the darn thing again. Because that's the problem. Every time I wear it and take it off, the paint flakes off. So I've got a not entirely, but enough that it looks way too damaged. Then before I wear it another time, and you know this. I've got to hit it again with a fresh coat of the uh, the chrome paint, yeah. so that it looks nice and you know niceish and you know as as a Cyberman should, I always say. So yeah, no, that was that was fun. Uh, the the thing about that was the original Cyberman costume we used a dryer ducting um, for right. the joints. Not so bad for the elbows because they can be whatever, but for the knees it meant I couldn't bend my knees without these things popping off. So it meant I had to walk like Frankenstein, which sort of helps with the Cyberman walk. But it meant I couldn't walk upstairs. Ooh. So it, I don't know if you were around for that, but um, when I walked into Comic-Con, I had to go up any wheelchair-accessible paths. <laughs> and I had to be led by people because that year I had gels in for the eyes, and those would fog up. So then, by the time I'm on the floor, I'm blind and I can't walk well. And that's also when John Barrowman got his photo with us, and I didn't oh. know it was him. I felt his hand on my back, but I had no idea who it was. I'm like, what was that? They're like, it was John Barrowman. I'm like, where? And they're like, never mind. We have to keep taking photos. I'm like, okay. Um, and uh, and stuff like that. So, no. It was, have you it was, seen any picture of that? No. Uh, it's never surfaced. And I asked John about it directly the year later. He claimed to not remember taking it. And I kept going like, but it's with the Cyberman. He's like, well, I take pictures of Cyberman all the time. And I'm like, okay, but wait. You might take pictures with new Cybermen all the time, but well, this was a 1975 yeah. Cyberman. He still was like, whatever. And I'm like, all right, well. Well, I mean, dude, hes I don't think he's lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> that was the year I tried one last time to see this photo and never surfaced, and then I let it go. That's too bad. That is too bad. But that was also because um, that was, uh, let me think, because, yeah, the year before, I, I posed with the, uh, the product Enterprise Cybermen they were going to put out, which sadly never came to market, I think. Or maybe those did. They, God, a lot of what they proposed that year didn't make it, but like a couple of those statues did. Anyway, I remember posing with those and walking around and being just blind and sweaty and just kind of crazy. But, I mean, look, it had a great reaction. Everybody liked it. Oh, that was the year we realized we had to fix the tubes because I had them on with Velcro. And some girl ran up to me, hugged me, and half the tubes popped off because she hugged me too hard. How old was she? Uh I mean, look, I didn't have a great look at her, yeah, but based, based on the photo, I'd say she was probably, a, I don't know, late teens. Uh, all right. Just saying. She should know better. She, yeah, she should know better. She should know better. I think the comment was if they were this easy to take out, I think the doctor would have an easier time of it or something. But, uh, yeah, and it was, the, it was the year after because I was in the Cyberman suit that we missed meeting David Tennant mm. uh, at Comic-Con because I was in the lobby, and, I, again, I, I, even with mesh, my visibility is, is like, I can figure out where objects are so I don't hit things, but people are blobs. So right. I'm walking through, I'm seeing blobs in the lobby, and I'm walking with some several doctors, like, you know, uh, uh, Terry was there as Ace and, and Simon and Justin, and uh, we passed some blobs in the lobby, and then I get told, hey, we just passed David Tennant and Russell T. Davies, and I'm like, what? 
And I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta go meet him, we gotta go meet him. I'm yelling, but of course you have to be right next to that helmet to really hear what I'm saying. So I'm saying, so I'm trying to turn around and like point me their way, I'll walk their way, but I'm too slow. Someone needs to go up and do the intros and say, hey, we're big fans, let's get a photo. And so I'm trying to, I'm just aiming for the blobs. And so finally the blobs are moving and everyone is just kind of, I don't know, they were kind of shy or something, and they didn't they didn't go up in time, so we missed him. And they end up going down to the street, and I cannot catch up to them because I'm just way too slow with my knees locked. And so that was that, and I was really kind of... And, and, of course, that's when my friend Steve, different Steve, entirely different Steve that we've been talking about, texts me with a photo with David Tennant on the street saying, Look who I met! And I'm just like... Ugh. I'll tell you, you know this. If I was with you, uh -huh. that shot would have happened. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. The consolation means a lot. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I don't it's, think I, I, I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go. It, 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 it's, it's, the only consolation was we know they saw us because everyone said, well, they saw us. They were pointing at us. I'm like, why was this a problem? But it, it looked like they were with suits or somebody important and maybe they couldn't break away or something and russell t even did, did give the cybermen a shout out in the dwm the next month oh that's right and uh and when i met him the next day and he signed my book um i did say hey i was in the cybermen yesterday he's like oh that was a fantastic cyberman that was a oh that was a top rate cyberman i was like yeah thanks you know why didn't you guys stop well. but um whatever it was what it is but you know he was he was pretty nice i told you when i met him as tom baker earlier on saturday and he was doing a signing for bbc america um, me and Steven, the same Steven I was just referring to, he was dressed as McCoy and we ran up to him and they let us have a quick shot with him, you know, quick candid. And I did, I, I don't know why I was default to the, you know, I did the point at him and smile. He's like, you're doing the John Nathan Turner point thing, aren't you? And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I am. How'd you know that? Like, you know, and I'm like, well, why? Of course he would know that. He's, he's a big fan of Doctor Who. He's Russell T. Davies. So. I want to, I want to take a trip back to, to the mid eighties. Okay. Bob Mitch is in St. Paul, Minnesota. Right. He's putting on these costumes that he's putting together. How are your friends with this? You're like your, you know, your friends, your guys you would hang out with. What are they thinking that of Bob doing all this <clears> stuff? <throat> well, keep in mind that when I was a kid and I did costumes, um, it's not like I was doing them every day. Right. Um, a lot of them were for Halloween, a lot of which I discussed on the Halloween podcast. But, um, the <sighs> There, there were the costumes I did for Halloween, and then there were the costumes I kind of had for just when I want to have fun and year-round, you know, whatever, like the A-Team or Dukes of Hazard. You had, a, you had an A-Team costume? I I, uh, I tried to put together kind of a cheap um, Hannibal and, and like a face, you know, leather jacket and jeans. I mean, look, you don't know, the, if you don't look like these guys, you can't pull it off, but I didn't know that as a kid. Uh, Luke Duke, it was like a plaid shirt, jeans, and um, my dad wouldn't let me have a knife. And I really wanted to have a knife as Bo Duke. I don't know why I had it in my head. Like, Bo Duke has a knife. So he gave me uh, fingernail clippers, and he pulled out the nail file. And that became my little my little knife as a seven-year-old. That's great. Yeah. But well, he, you were seven. Yes. I mean, let's give it up to your dad. Good parenting. Dad. Good parenting, yes. But he did give me a knife holder for it. So I got to keep it in this knife holder nice. on my belt. And I was, oh, I'm Luke Duke. And uh, uh, I did a Sonny Crockett. From uh, Miami Vice, yeah. Oh, it was that was a, it was a good Sonny Crockett for 1986 or 85. That was a that was a banging Sonny Crockett because uh, I got I got a white um, linen suit and then the Ocean Pacific purple T-shirt. I got the shades and uh, and the Vans and I and wore the, and the lack of socks and the lack of socks. <laughs> And I remember being so proud of that costume, man. That was, oh, I, man, that was good stuff. Did you have a tubs? 
Uh, no, I didn't have it. Well, I mean, my best friend Joe, I guess, could have been Tubbs, but, I mean, it would have been a little weird. Did cause... you have other members of the A-team, or did you have a Bo Duke? Jo- uh, Joe was off in Hannibal, and I would usually be Murdoch or Face. We never had a Mr. T, though. Um, B.A. Baracus. Ah, what were we doing? Um, but, yeah, so there was a lot of that. Oh, James Bond. I Look, here's my thing. You know, we, we got to know each other over our love of things like Doctor Who and Greatest American Hero and Red Dwarf. You do understand, though, as a little kid, although I watched Doctor Who, I did not become like a big, I am a Doctor Who fan with a capital F until 88, 89. I was about 11 or 12. Right. And the reason for that was the <laughs> book of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I discovered about the same time. Now, before all of this, as a little kid, even though, okay, I watched Doctor Who and I liked Doctor Who, uh, my big fandom, my big thing was superheroes, especially Superman and Captain Marvel and guys like that, and James Bond. James Bond was, I lived for James Bond as a little kid. I still love James Bond now, but... As a kid, you could do no cooler than James Bond. Now, from your time as a kid to your time to to now, has your favorite James Bond changed? Yeah. As a, as a kid, uh, I lived for Roger Moore. He was my... I mean, look, that was his era. So I grew up on Roger Moore, and uh, I uh, I always thought he was Bond. I thought, you know, this, this guy is Bond. And then my dad shows me Dr. No, and uh, and he described it to me. I remember him, because he's like, this is the first James Bond movie. I'm like, oh my god, the first one, yeah, I'm in. And he's like, oh, what's it about? All oh, this guy, Dr. No, he's at this island, there's a dragon, he's got metal hands, he dies in an acid bath. And I'm picturing Roger Moore doing all this, and I'm like, oh, sign me up. I couldn't wait, I could not wait. And then I see it, and there's Sean Connery, and I'm like, who is this guy? What, what have you, what, bait and switch, what just happened? And, I, um, I'm, I feel like taking back my good parenting badge that I just gave you. <laughs> you got to prep your your son if there's gonna be a new James Bond. Yeah. So uh, I was a little unsure about Connery until he finally showed me Goldfinger, and then I'm like, all right, Connery's okay. He's all right, but he's no Roger Moore. Now where are you at with Craig? Uh, I like Craig a lot. Craig is interesting because I, you know, I've seen them. I just rewatched Casino Royale, <laughs> and. Uh, Here's my thing with Craig. My problem is that uh, I can at least say the other Bonds are loosely in the same continuity. Clearly, Craig is a reboot. Right. So, in many ways, it's hard for me to compare them because he's not quite part of the same lineage. I get you. And also because, stylistically, they've kind of really gone almost ultra... I wouldn't say completely, but, you know, more realistic. Right. So, a lot of the stuff Craig is doing, you would never see Roger Moore doing. You've never even seen probably Pierce Brosnan doing. And that's a little bit weird to me. So I think taking on his own merits, I enjoy Craig a lot. And I, I think they've definitely turned the boat around from the ridiculous years of Pierce Brosnan. It's interesting because my good friend Ralph Oppel mm-hmm. is a huge Bond fan mm-hmm. for, for years and years. And he, he's like, Daniel Craig, he's, he's the man. He's mm-hmm. my favorite. And Brad Hansen yes. also came to that conclusion just recently that mm-hmm. Craig's the man. Uh, I I think he's I think he does a fine job. I really enjoyed Skyfall and Casino Royale, but you know it's like Doctor Who. I like Matt Smith a lot. He's doing a fine job. He's never gonna do better than Baker to me. Baker's my guy. But you know, come on, that was the dude. So there's a there's a childhood part of me that will always say Roger Moore will never be beaten. But then I can stop and say okay, and I look at it all. We ju- I just watched From Rush with Love last night actually, and uh, I have to say that Connery's the icon. You know, you how do you beat Sean Connery? It is interesting because I had gone for a very long time without watching some of the classic episodes of Doctor Who. Mm. Um, And it was maybe eight months ago that I was here and and you had a Tom Baker one on. And I was just like, holy crap, Tom Baker is so good. (laughs) Yeah, how do you beat that guy? He's so good. 
Um, but, and I know that uh, both of us have had our, our issues with certain things since the show has been rebooted. But I think Matt Smith is delightful. No. I think he's very, very great. But, yeah, it's very interesting to, to even try to compare because, mm-hmm. well, he's, he's not bigger. No, he's not. He's not. And you know that Davison's my favorite, but I think it's because I feel, for some reason, I feel more of a connection with him. Mm-hmm. But Tom Baker is just amazing. There's, so it's it's very strange on these levels of likes and and what we have. There's a reason why um, you know Connery and Baker are the icons, the guys, the benchmarks of those series. I mean, there's a reason why Baker became so popular in the U.S. in the '80s and why his episodes got shown so much. And when you think of Doctor Who, maybe not for the younger generation today, but let's face it, despite all those actors who play the Doctor, when you thought of him. Most people think the guy with the scar. Absolutely. V- verbatim. Mm-hmm. The guy with the, the scar. The guy with the scar. Anytime The Simpsons has Doctor Who, it's, it's Tom it's Baker. It's Tom Baker, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and I, I have nothing but love for the other Doctors. They're all cool, but man, Baker, he was the guy. And, and with Bond, it's kind of weird because, I mean, I came to Connery second, <coughs> and I came to accept him, and I, and I liked Connery. Uh, there's a lot of, but you know, still that that power of more uh, because he was my first. Like, uh, what is it in our area? I mean, you remember back in the '80s, renting movies, right? Yeah. You had to go to a store, and uh, they would have VHS and Beta. And yeah. sometimes you'd walk in thinking, "Oh, good, they got the movie I want." No, oh, it's Beta. It's the blue sticker Beta, and you wanted the red sticker VHS. So I remember every time, and they didn't ever had everything. They only had like some things. So there wasn't like one store back then that had all the Bond movies. Like you can go to most stores now, they'll have all the Bond movies. Back then, it was real pick and choose. And I remember one of the, one of the last ones I got to see was Live and Let Die, at least of the current run at the time. This was '83, around the time Octopussy came out. And uh, so my dad says, oh, this is the first Roger Moore one. I'm like, oh, first Roger Moore one. Well, now we're serious. Now, <laughs> now we're talking. And I remember the I got classics. the classics. So I, I bought uh, or we rented that tape and we had errands to do. And we had family to see or something. And I remember that whole day I was clutching that live and let die VHS. When you could, you know, when you rented back then, you got the cover with it. It wasn't yeah. some blockbuster thing. So I am staring at the art. I am reading that back thing over and over and over and uh, I even remember there was a line on the back saying Roger Moore stars in his first 007 adventure proving he has the panache to be 007 and I thought panache what a good word panache. <laughs> and uh, so we get back home and unfortunately it's too late for me to watch it I have to go to bed and I'm like come on that is unjust and my dad's like and I said just show me the opening because I knew all the Bonds had these great openings and my dad's like no because he remembered the Bond movie he's like this one doesn't have a good opening. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, Bond isn't in it. It's like a plot opening. And I'm like, what about the first minutes of after the opening? And he knew better that, again, I'm like, whatever, you know, seven, eight years old. And he knew that I would not care about Bond being in bed with a girl and then making cappuccino for M. So what does he do? He shows me the end scene where he fights uh, Kananga in the, in the uh, cave. I don't know how long it's been since you've seen it. But he fights him and he has the cool thing with the magnet watch. And it's a buzzsaw. And he fights him. And there's sharks in a pool. It was great. It was great. And so I got to see that. I'm like, thank you. It's all I needed to see. And then the next day I came home from school and I think I watched it twice. It was like, <laughs> it was, yeah, you can do no wrong with Roger Moore. Now, uh, that all said, I do want to say that for a while, Timothy Dalton was a favorite of mine. And uh, I still love Dalton. I think he got a bad rap. I really love Dalton. And um, I thought he was a really, really good Bond. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people don't agree with me. But uh, so to me, like, it's always like Connery Moore Dalton. 
great. And I liked Lazenby's movie. He just, you know, it's hard to judge him on one movie. But I never accepted Pierce Brosnan, despite the fact he looks very good as Bond. But I think he didn't get great movies. I'm getting off on a Bond tangent. But no, and then that's I right. think and I think Craig is doing fine for his movies. But they're just it's like it's like Bond 2.0. It's not it's not the original Bond. It's you know it, new Coke and classic Coke. You know it's it's just no, it's not new Coke and classic Coke. You know new it, Coke was universally derived. You're right. Okay, well. I don't mean it like that. I just mean that you know it's not. It's not part of the same thing. I, I mean, know. I will say I have not seen For Her Eyes Only. You haven't seen For Your Eyes Only? No, I have not. Dude, that was my first Bond movie. How can you not seen that? I have not seen a lot of the Bond movies. Wow, Kevin, I what's have going them all on, now. man? Wow. I, uh, I'm sorry, buddy. Wow. I was reenacting For Your Eyes Only on my stairs, on my banister when I was five <laughs> years old. That's right. Yeah, if we were friends then. I'd have made sure you watched that movie countless times. I probably, I certainly would have. Yes. Oh, that was that was good stuff. Anyways, yeah. When I was a kid, I would uh, I would wear my church clothes, or you know, if I had a wedding to go to and I had a tux, I was always oh, I'm James Bond. Sure. You know, I had my little toy Bond gun. Matter of fact, I have. Bob is going to his uh, shelf. This was one of my favorite toys as a kid. This little James Bond gun. Um, I uh, it, for those of you who obviously can't see this. It's a little metal replica of the Walter PPK. It has 007 engraved on the barrel and the word Thunderball written underneath it. What and, movie was this from? Well, it was marketed at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, probably originally from Thunderball. But oh, okay. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I bought this at a KB Toy and Hobby when I was about seven years old. So uh, it was marketed alongside, I presume, For Your Eyes Only or Octopus because... The Roger Moore uh, silhouette from the For Your Eyes Only poster is in the handle, and it says James Bond. And it came, there used to be a hammer here where you could put a single cap, so it used to be a cap gun. And uh, I love this gun because it looks like Bond's gun, because most of the toy Bond guns that came out at that time looked nothing like Bond's gun. They just were generic guns, and I'm like, oh, that's garbage. I want the gun that looks like it. So I got this, and I even found a shoulder holster for it. Nice. And this came with a little ID where, you know, I had like a little photo and it says, you know, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm Bobby Mitch, but I'm really secret agent 007 and stuff. And that was, that was good stuff. So this and, uh, and my prize Superman Mego doll were probably my two favorite toys as a kid. And, uh, yeah, so this, this, uh, would always be tucked into whatever suit or tux I wore as a kid. Now at that point. Did it bother you similar to the Halloween costumes where it said Spider-Man across the Spider-Man thing? Well, yeah, that always bugged me. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, you know that James Bond did not have a silhouette of you're, himself. On y- the you're head. right. Here's the thing. Did that though. bother you? Um, in this particular case, for some reason, it didn't. I think because I just thought it was so cool looking. Um, and it looks like, I mean, it's small. I mean, it was even a bit small for my hands back then. But um, it looks like the right gun. I love the fact this 007 is here. And because I think I mostly was holding it, you wouldn't see that. Oh, right. So it just kind of looked cool. But um, in general, I know, because there was a different gun they marketed with Octopussy that had a sticker of 007 on it, and it was just like, eh, this is stupid. And I, I, didn't, I didn't like that as much. But um, but yeah, no. Yeah, they had, some, they had some cool little Bond toys back then. But yeah, the shoulder holster is what made it. My, finding that shoulder holster for a different gun that I would use with this. And Oh, there was a different gun that I had that I liked that was the right size, and it looked sort of like this, but it was black. But here is the kicker, and I don't know if you remember this. You know, cap guns back then usually were, were revolvers, and you'd put in your little caps. Yeah, yeah. Right. The uh, ring. The ring. This one was the cool one that had the string of caps you'd put oh, into a yes. clip. And the, the clip went into the gun. 
Oh, maybe not. Maybe you don't remember I don't, this? I don't think I had the clip, no. Look, I'm telling you right now, I always noticed as a kid, Bond had a clip of bullets that went into no, his that's, gun. No, that's a very so good the, idea. So the fact that there was a cap gun that had a clip, oh, and the minute I found that, that was that and this little silver one were my go-to Bond guns. I'm like, all right, now this one I have for the 007 and the, the nice Walter shape. The other one is my the one I can use with the clip and stuff. And I always had my Bond arsenal and... And stuff like that. I remember uh, my parents were teaching me to cross-country ski as a kid, and I was often c- trying to cross-country ski on my living room floor, basically reenacting the right. "Spy Who Loved Me" and "For Your Eyes Only." Yes. Yeah. So that was good stuff. But anyway, yeah. So Bond, Bond was a big thing for me, and as a kid, and I was always renting those movies to death. Um, anyway, yeah. So Bond, Bond was big, and, and I liked wearing that. But if I wasn't using my church clothes for that, I was using it to be Clark Kent to change into Superman. Yes. Because yes, I need to stress again, people. Underoos were the saving grace of any child um, wanting to dress up as a superhero back then. They helped. They helped a lot because, because we've just said the the costumes back then were plastic with the names written on it, <laughs> and that was garbage. Even I knew it was garbage as a kid. And um, but my first costume that I can remember having as a kid was the that plastic Superman with the Superman plastic mask you put over your face with the rubber band and all that and um but as i got older i noticed oh there's underoos and they're cloth they're like cloth shirts with the logo and you oh and you have the briefs with the red and the yellow oh that's cool and then oh there's long underwear versions oh so i can get leggings and there's these rain boots and oh and they marketed a cloth cape somewhere and my grandmother got me that and and there you go. I had a nice, proper Superman costume, not the cheap plastic one. And that was my go-to costume all the time as a kid. Like, all these other costumes I've talked about, they were fads. They were things I'd wear here and there, and then after a year, forget about them. Then I'd always go back to Superman and James Bond all the time. The other one I uh, remember as a kid that I liked a lot, did I tell you about my Perseus costume from Clash of the Titans? You may have mentioned it before. <clears throat> um, I, I was a big fan of Clash of the Titans. When, I still am, but, I mean, that movie came out when I was four, and I loved it to death, and I had the toys and everything, and Perseus was, like, you know, just cool dude. And my dad made me a Perseus uh, costume, basically from, like, an old sheet, an old belt to be that strap that he had. And uh, he made me a wooden sword and shield. Um, nice. Custom sword and shield, because this is a little before you could get <coughs> sword and shields, like, you know, in, uh, in stores and stuff. And I uh, and I think I just had some moccasins or some sandals or something I wore with it, and that was uh, that was my Perseus, and it was uh, yeah, good times. I was, you know, I remember playing with that and watching The Greatest American Hero one night. So. <laughs> yeah, so I know there you go. It's so weird. I love Greatest American Hero, and I wanted that costume, but I never seriously pursued or bugged my mom for that costume as a kid. I think because I kind of knew that it was just kind of out of my reach. Like you're just not. Did they have them then? No, they had planned to. I don't know if you knew this, but you know that DC sued. <laughs> Candle Productions oh, yeah. uh, because of the Superman similarity. And although it was thrown out of court, it scared all of the merchandisers off of it, which is why all you had were the, that little Mego figure in Van, or mm. not Van, the uh, the Bug, and a couple of little side things. But I mean, there wasn't much for Greatest American Hero, sadly. But they had planned a Halloween set of costumes, and unfortunately, the fallout of the lawsuit meant we never got that. I really, really wanted the costume. Yes, I know. I know. I uh, trust me I understand so um, yeah I'm hoping to revisit that costume one day and do an even better uh, replica <laughs> the most common uh, misidentification of a character when you're out and about as, as as this and somebody comes up and says hey it's space ghost and you're like I'm doctor who what are you talking about <laughs> um, yeah no I, I, I said this before but 
my favorite is when I'm Captain Marvel and people call me the Flash. Oh, um, you know, or old school Flash. Hey, old school Flash. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. And they, and they give it to you in that tone that says, "We're on the same page." Right. Yeah. Like, I get it, man. I get it. Uh, the other common one would be when I'm Kirk Allen Superman. Of course, I think I'm George Reeves Superman. I fell into that category. Yes. I'm sorry. And I know they're very similar and they're old school, and not less people know about Kirk Allen. It's cool, but. Yeah, that one I've, I've learned to accept. Um, I'm trying to think. When I was Doctor Who, I've said this story before, but I'll say it again. Um, I uh, the, the <laughs> early years of being Tom Baker were rough before the show came back because I was at a and of course when you're not even at a convention, you're at a Halloween party. And what is it? Um, I was called uh, Indiana Jones's retarded brother, Jeez. and I was called uh, East Coast English professor uh, as Doctor Who. So that was that was no fun. <clears throat> And um, I was, oh, and uh, Scott was joking when I was doing my John Steed last year. He's like, hey, as long as nobody calls you Jeeves. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. So we're on the floor. And look, most people either didn't get it and never approached me or they got it, which is cool. And we're walking away from Artist Alley. And some guy out of, just barely out of earshot was going, hey, wow, yeah, it's a cool group, man. Yeah, check it out. So it's, oh, it's Xena and, uh, you know, and Lone Ranger. Oh, and Jeeves. Jeeves from what? Jeeves and Wooster. Oh, yeah, because he wears a bowler too, and yeah, so it's uh, it was one of those things where I'm like, great. Oh, and of course, the famous time at, at the end of Comic Con in uh, eleven, I was walking back to do a last purchase on my own, away from the group, and I'm dressed as the First Doctor, and some guy's like, "Wow, everyone's here, even Benjamin Franklin," and I just I just took it. What what can you do? I mean, <laughs> you you look like even more of a putz if you try to correct someone at that point. So I mean, I guess it's the hair. It's the hair. So I'm uh, at the end of the month here. I'm going to go to WonderCon for the okay. first time. Oh, cool! What is your take on WonderCon versus Comic Con versus uh, Gallifrey? Uh, well, WonderCon, as I've discussed with some of my other friends, uh, feels kind of like what Comic Con used to be. That's a lot. Of, a lot of people say that. Yeah, it, I mean, it's big and it's fun and everything, but it's not unwieldy like Comic Con. Like, look, very key is. I got my badges, no problem, breeze right in two days after they got announced. You know, it's right. not like Comic-Con where you just can't even practically get in <laughs> that thing anymore. Um, and, I mean, on the other hand of it, you know, yeah, you don't get maybe quite the star power, and it's not quite as Hollywoodized. No, so you, no, I need CM Punk to be there. Tell me <laughs> CM Punk is going to be there. If, uh, if you live for the celebrity stuff, maybe it's not for you, but there's still some very cool guests, and it's still a good time, and there's a lot of good vendors and a lot of good costumes, and... Um, I never went to it when it was in Frisco, uh, but I heard that it was a, it was a great time up there. And uh, last year at Anaheim, although they had some teething trouble, it was a good time. And I'm looking forward to, to it again this year. It's become somewhat trouble, teething trouble, you know, just because of the new location. Ah, and I see. Stuff like that. Uh, side note: I learned this when I went to San Francisco. They hate when you call it Frisco. Oh, they hate it. Okay. Stephen Prescott, Bob apologizes. Oh, sorry, Stephen. Yes, I didn't realize that. Um, but yes, no, I've, I've heard that. As to Gal, you know, and as to Gallifrey One, Gallifrey One is still a smaller convention, and it's and you know, look, if you're not into Doctor Who, I don't think you should be at Gallifrey One, really. I mean, oh yes, who? Yes, I don't think anybody's arguing that. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, look, it still can be a, a good time if you just like the fan vibe. But I mean, what's the point of going if you're? It's like, look, I wouldn't go to a Stargate convention because I'm not a fan of Stargate. So there you go. I mean, it's like why be somewhere that you're. 
not into. But yeah, it's it you know, so that's smaller and that's more niche and WonderCon's nice and big and open again, but manageably so yeah. than Comic Con, that's the way I would say it. Uh have you gone to the Dragon Con? Where's that? Atlanta? Atlanta. Uh, I've never been. I've talked to a lot of people on the podcast about it, and Scott and Vicky will be going for the first time this year. So I'll, I'll hear more firsthand reports about. Are they suiting up? Yeah, uh, I don't know what Vicky's wearing, but I know Scott's planning on doing Batman and Lone Ranger uh, there. God, this is so good. I know. But they're they're both so good. I know. And uh, I mean, those pictures that he took in San Diego. Oh, I know. Yeah, Lone the, Ranger in the old town. Yeah, really good stuff. Pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, no, it, it should be cool. We want to go one day. It's just a matter of affording. Because I mean, look, Comic Con's already x expensive, but the minute you have to add an airfare on top of that, oh, totally, it it triples it practically. It's like crazy. And then um, what is it? Uh, and then I have to figure out. Oh, what do we pack? Because we've never had to deal with air flying. I mean, except for Time Quest, I've never had to deal with moving my costumes over on a plane. So you have to get very choosy about what you bring. And then bear in mind, oh, it's Atlanta in September. Time Quest was was in the UK. Yeah. How many costumes did you bring with you? Well, because there were five doctors, I brought five costumes. Wow. Yes. That that was a logistical nightmare. I yes. bet. Yeah, because I had to figure out like allowances on the airline and what I could pack. I had to kind of mostly borrow the six doctor costume from a friend. So I only packed a little of that. But yeah, so I basically technically packed like four and a half costumes, but um, but yeah, so I had to figure out how to get it all in one big duffel bag. And I remember the uh, the help at the hotel, even when they came in to check my room, they're like, "You packed a lot of stuff for someone just staying for the weekend." I'm like, "Yeah, it's a lot of costumes. Never mind. Like, shoo. You know, mind your I, own business. Mind your own beeswax." So um, yeah, and having to run up all the time and change for photo ops that was crazy. And then the the organizers who were taking my photo quickly figured out within three photos, this is the same guy, but he keeps changing. <laughs> you know. Hey, they're like you've regenerated again. I'm this like, yes. Guy. I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> Thanks. I'm gonna walk away with my photos now. Tom Baker feeding me a jelly baby. By the way, if anyone in the UK is listening, we will accept your offers <laughs> to fly out to your conventions and perform on stage for you. Just pay for our plane tickets and our uh, hotels, and it'll be fine. <laughs> we can continue with the podcast now. I want that so bad. I want that so bad. Yeah, yeah, we're, uh, yeah the big Hubaski's not going to our heads at all. Yeah, A guy can dream. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we did have a few nice comments on uh, Retirement of a Time Lord, remember, saying, hey, they should fly these guys over. Granted, these are clearly people nowhere near in the position to make that call. They could be. You don't know that. <laughs> it's the internet. It's the internet. Um, but, yeah, yeah. But, but you know the problem with that. British cons are small. They don't usually... What was how was Time Quest? That was big, wasn't it? Well, it was big for a British comedy. It was still like five hundred people. Really? Yeah, I know. You had five doctors then. I know. I'm telling you, the only big uh, cons I know that go over there is a a Comic Con in London uh, that looks pretty big, and then there is uh, the big official BBC Doctor Who convention last year. I heard was fairly big. Yeah, but it's still. But that was like hugely promoted. I mean, that's the official. It was the official con. Matt Smith was there. It was very well promoted. (laughs) But you know, it still wasn't on Comic Con's level. I mean, and from what I understand, it was really expensive. Yes, it was that too. Yes. There you go. And, and I don't see the BBC officially sanctioning, you know, a pair of American fans or, or even a group of American fans to go over and, you know, costume and, and do skits and stuff. I don't see, unless we, I don't know, got on the Nerdist or something. I don't see them caring. Uh, Mr. Hardwick, <laughs> you know where we are. <laughs> we were on uh, Chloe's Just Cause featured last year. That's right. I was the ninth doctor who wouldn't dance. Yes. Yes. Indeed. So... <clears throat> How many costumes 
do you have on hand right now, either in a closet or being borrowed, lent to somebody else, Doctor Who and otherwise? Um, the, okay. Um, I realize this is a difficult question. No, it's uh, I don't I don't sit there and tally it up like baseball cards. Yeah, you're um, doing it now though. So, you're making me do so it. Make it happen. Um, His I eyebrows are raising. I basically have all eleven doctors. That's eleven right there. Um, I've got now two variants of Tom, so that makes it thirteen. Got some Star Trek. Have you counted some Star I Trek? I counted stuff? the Star. I counted my one Star Trek that I wear. Um, the, yeah. I counted uh, twenty-four with Steed. Um, I don't wear it. It's garbage. But I've got a. I've got an <clears throat> awful Elvis costume. I guess I'll count. So that's twenty-five. What did that come from? Um, for <laughs> Halloween. Oh, what year was it? I want to say this was oh, probably oh three. Okay, early early two thousands. Maybe oh two. Um, I had Great American Hero, but I knew there were certain venues I couldn't pull that costume off at. So I was looking for a good, popular fallback costume, and I decided, you know what, um, I'm gonna have some fun and be Elvis. So I bought a cheap Elvis costume, and it was uh, the comeback special. It was a black one. But it was a cheap out of a bag, you know, it was like a $40 costume. And I got a cheap microphone, and I got a crap wig, and I put it on, and I realized I look awful in this thing, partly because the costume was hardly high-end, and partly because, you know, I mean, you can, look, you have to be a man of a certain stature to pull off something that literally is like a giant V going down to your navel, you know? Um, so I just, and I debated going to the, the classic 70s with the cape, and then I'm like, nope, I'm just going to wear Zorro. I'm just I'm done spending money on this, so that's where. So I've I've only tried it on a few times, but technically it's in the closet. I could bust it out if I had to. So, hey, so we got what twenty five? Is that what we're I looking think, at? I think we're at twenty five. Well, <coughs> twenty six with the Adric. The Adric is together. <laughs> I have to count it. It's there. You asked me to true. count it. Um, yeah, twenty six with the Adric. Yeah, Captain Marvel. Da, da, da. All right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna make you answer this one. So twenty six is the official answer. Sorry. All right, I'm gonna make you answer this. You don't have to tell me when this happened. But what is the most amount of money you've put into one costume? You want the number or you want the costume? I want the, do- I want the dollar amount. Most people would probably expect it to be the Morbius or the Zygon. That's not true. They're actually two of the more cheaper costumes. Um, now, I'm deliberately not saying that you don't have to say when so that you don't have to feel guilty about how much you spent at whatever given time. Um, I, can t- I can tell you... The single most expensive garment out of everything I've put together, whether you're talking commission or, or materials or whatnot, is the Six Doctor Coat by Steve Ricks. Okay. Uh, but that should come as no major shock, <coughs> considering the sheer amount of work and custom fabrics that went into that. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it's all patches of different fabric. It's crazy. It's, yes, and a good like half of which had to be custom woven. But that's. But that's. That was just the coat, though. That was just the coat. And I recall that. Not being, because I know how much you spent on that, I think, mm-hmm. and that wasn't too crazy. I'm talking about the whole darn thing. Um, if it's not the Colin Baker, which would definitely be up there, um, I would say it's either the Captain Marvel or the Tom Baker, the season 12 Tom Baker. Um, the Captain Marvel, because there was a lot of research that went into that and a lot of expenses and materials, and I mean, there was like three different outsourcing things, custom boots, which aren't cheap. So that's up there. But, you know, I think I'm going to give it to the Tom Baker because if you add in all of the upgrades that costumes had and you factor in the fact it was a custom-made... I mean, everything on that costume with the exception of, like, the shirt and the shoes are all custom. So that adds up really quickly. And I've gone through, I think, like, eight or nine scarves now. Gosh. 
Some of which are for variants, but still, I mean, there's a lot of different scarves going on. I'm not even counting in the variants. I'm just counting everything that went to the Season 12. I've gone through three Sonic Screwdrivers. I've gone through uh, three TARDIS keys, although I've kept the keys because you never know when you need a key, but, you know, uh, stuff like that. So is there a costume that you finished it, it's been done, it's as good as it's going to be, and you thought to yourself, this kind of wasn't worth it. I kind of wish I hadn't done this. No. Okay. No. Well, that's good. I mean, with the exception of things like a cheap Elvis costume that I realized, oh, this thing's a piece of crap. And but that was, what, a couple hundred bucks? What, the Elvis? Yeah. No, it was a, buying a bag. It was 40 bucks. Okay, there yeah, you go. I can't really so, argue so, with so that. So you can't feel bad, yeah. No, no. Um, no, every every time I get to... I mean, in, in a piece, I might have a moment of what did I spend my money on, and then when I put it all together, and I got the wig, and I'm with the group or whatever, and I'm out there on the floor, and I'm seeing myself in it, like, I take a moment to really go, okay, I'm in the element, or we do a nice photo shoot, or I'm with, doing my thing, and then it hits me like, nope, worth every penny. This was awesome. Like, I, you know, this is what I, you know, this is what I put all the time and the money into. Now, accepting the fact that a lot of people listening are actual costume makers, uh, I will ask you what mm -hmm. you ask people. What is your number one tip to, to beginners, for beginners? Well, there's, there's two angles on this. Uh, on a practical sense, um, I always say, you know, first off, uh, you know, know your budget, know your skill set, you know, <laughs> and know what you're aiming for. You know, are you aiming for something super, super accurate or are you cool with just a costume that's going to look good for you and, and get the, the feel of the character? Um, and I understand that some people are dictated by their wallets and no harm in that. That's where we started. And know, know, know your skill set and know your budget and know your venue. I mean, I know these are, these are things we've always been talking about in this podcast, but that's the key to, to start. And once you know that, you're, you're on a foundation of where you want to go after that. Um, for me, outside of the technical end of it, I mean, just because this goes into my motivation of why I do it, how do I put this? Because for me... Dressing up is about wish fulfillment and childhood heroes. Hmm. I mean, that's the reason why I choose most of these characters. These are characters I've looked up to as a kid, or maybe I was older when I looked up to them, so to speak. But, you know, they're characters like, oh, man, they're cool. I want to, you know, just for a little while, I want to play pretend that I'm this guy because he's awesome. You know, that's why there's certain characters that I don't know if I'll ever do. And there's certain ones that I love a lot, like Malcolm Reynolds on Serenity, that I would love to do that costume. But I also recognize that I don't think I can pull him off. So I try to temper that as well. That if I can't, if, if the costume and a wig and makeup <laughs> will not put me there, then maybe it's best I just let that character go. Because then it comes into that, that point of I don't want to disrepresent the character or, or you know, uh, underrepresent the character. So, um, which I know is crazy because then there's other people that it doesn't matter. Just go do it. And then I almost envy those folks. Like, yeah, they went out there and they had fun. And What do you think it's like for, uh, for like Nathan Fillion when... Someone comes up to you to you in costume as as Captain Mal, and it's somebody very very different than you had. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, uh, we'll have to write them and find out. I, I mean, I can <laughs> I can imagine. You know, ultimately, I would hope that they're not like, oh gosh, you know, this is a guy who lives in someone's basement. That they actually go, oh, wow, that's really cool, and they're flattered. I mean, that's what Matt Smith said on uh, Graham Norton when they said, hey, what's it like when you see people dressed up as you, Yeah, basically. Um, so I would hope they just think, hey, these are people that are just really into it and they're having a good time and yeah. they, uh, you know, it's great that they're, they're flying the colors. I mean, that's what it always comes down to. Just it's, it's been said many a times, but it comes down to fun and flying your colors and just, you know, my whole thing is just, 
you just kind of have an idea of, of kind of why you're doing it too. I mean, if you're doing it for the technical side or you're doing it to learn a thing or learn a craft or the challenge of, of um, sewing a crazy dress or something, that's cool too. It's just, I know for me, uh, it, it, it always comes back down to that kernel. And that's why, like, you know, as I said, it comes back down to characters like the fourth doctor and Captain Marvel and, and Superman and stuff, so. <clears throat> All right, so, so whether it be at a convention or whether you're just working on it at home on a costume, what is, what is the most frustrating or worst experience you've had with, with costuming or cosplaying? For you, what is it for you, costuming or cosplaying? Um, or is it two different things at two different times? I'm happy to go with cosplay. I mean, that, that seems to be the accepted nomenclature today. Um, I, for a little while, I had a bit of a, I don't like that term. It's, uh, you know, I, I want to call it costuming, but now I realize you look like a bit of a snob if you do that. So I, uh, no, I'm fine going with cosplay. It's a blanket term I use pretty much now, but um, I, I also fully respect the people that want to keep the delineation. So that that's cool. So your um, most frustrating moment of cosplay? Often it's fighting a deadline. I mean, you know, we all, I think, fight the clock. Um, or fighting something where you're like, man, this costume is going to be great. If only I could just make this one last thing work. And whether you're fighting a technique you're not familiar with or whether you're simply fighting the wallet because you know if you could spend the money on this last thing, you'd bring a costume home. Um, so that, that can always be frustrating. But um, I, I guess uh, when you, I don't know, I, when you find out something's not working, uh, and usually you don't really find this out till you see it back in photos afterwards. For example? Um, well, it can be something little like you find out, oh, there's a better way I can wear the wig that will help mm. sell the character. And sure, you, but you only learn some of this when you're out there doing it because you can only pre-wear stuff so much or maybe you don't have time before a convention to find these bugs out. You should do it as much as you can, but sometimes it's not possible because sometimes you're, you know, you're finishing it at the con. Um, I don't usually quite have that problem, but um, I know that uh, the Cyberman, when I wore that and discovered, oh my gosh, these gels are going to make me blind, you know, and <laughs> that's something I didn't find out until I was on the floor because I hadn't worn the helmet very long with the gels inside. They were one of the last things I put inside. And also, uh, a lot of adequate sleep because um, I know that uh, before Gallifrey, or, or I'm sorry, Comic-Con in 08, I fell asleep over the Cyberman helmet. Because I was working on that costume oh, yeah. for so many hours. Yeah, I heard and, about that. Uh, uh, when I was putting together the master sash and uh, <coughs> or improving it for 2011, um, I fell asleep with one of the pyramids super glued to my face. <sighs> oh, yeah. Dude. So that those are those are the war stories, you know. Or uh, super glued. To well, your face. <laughs> is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Super glued. Using using the old super glue to put it on the foam, and I, I was doing whatever it was. So how'd you get like, it off? Uh, carefully. Oh. Yeah, it was it was no fun, and uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, when I was adding the C clamps to the Cyberman suit, you know, I was sticking myself with a needle, you know, every fourth turn because you know, I you're trying to sew it inside of a sleeve, so I can't see mm. where I'm going half the time. I'm just trying to, you know, feel where the heck I'm going. So half the time, the needles, you know, pricking my fingers, and uh, so you, you have that stuff. I know that in terms of the classic, you know, worst case scenario. I mean, a lot of people refer to. Um, online issues and uh for me uh you know i think this came up with um sam and his spider-man uh but similar thing happened to me with uh, superman there was a year the second year i wore it to comic-con uh i didn't quite hit my target weight for wearing it and i should have just rather than just wear it for fun and hey in the moment i did have fun uh i should have said i shouldn't have worn this 
because uh, I still cringe at those photos whenever mm. they come up from 06. And, uh, you know, because most of the time, if I was on, I knew the right poses and I knew how to keep a good stature to look okay. Sure. But there was always the people, because you don't know when cameras are on you, that took photos of me when I was off. Right. And I'm, and I'm just, oh, I need to rest around Bob. Well, guess what? Then, <laughs> then Superman gets a big old gut and uh, it didn't look good at all. So there's, oh. a, there's a few photos of me on Facebook, or not Facebook, on Flickr. And uh, I remember there was no, all these no. horrible comments about, oh, you know, geez. Superman let himself go. Oh, and, no. You know, Fatso Superman and stuff. And it really made me go, okay, but, you know, it, it's, you know, it's to be expected. It's what happened. So uh, I, I rolled with it and just told myself I'm never wearing this costume again until I can look good in it again. I, uh, and, um, I've always been tall and thin. Mm-hmm. And then maybe uh, in my mid-30s, suddenly I had this amazing gut. And it's like, wow, where did this come from? This mm-hmm. is crazy. And I almost, I've been without it for so long mm-hmm. that it's like, I found it funny. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt it funny. And then this past summer, I shot a short with my friend Lander. Uh, and uh, we were at the beach. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we were sitting down at the beach, uh, sitting down um, kind of crab position where you're sitting on your butt. And your legs are up and you're holding yourself up by your by your arms. And... I thought, hey, I should be topless so I can have, it'll be funny because I'll, I can see fat Kevin. It'll be very funny to see uh-huh. Kevin. And I've seen the footage and there is nothing funny about seeing <laughs> the ripples of fat mm-hmm. going up to my stomach. And mm-hmm. it's like, what? Okay. I, lesson learned. Yes. Lesson and learned. I don't think, uh, I don't think Lander was too upset about it, but I was just looking at it like, that is not funny. Mm-hmm. It makes your friends uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, so never again. Yeah. No. If there's anything, it uh, it promotes you to do the con diet harder next year. I mean, it's weird. Next next uh, month, I'm going to be 39. Oh wow! And there is the part of me, and I I wonder if you think the same thing that steps back from it all, and it's like 39 year old man. Still dressing up, <laughs> still still playing costume, right? And a lot of my friends from like high school are like, "That's awesome! You haven't changed. You're you're still doing your fun thing." And I think there may be an aspect to that. And I just wonder if I should grow up mm-hmm. or if I should just have fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm leaning towards the latter a lot. I mean, yeah. especially when something new, like when that new sweater comes out for uh, Fifth Doctor, mm-hmm. I'm going to be super excited to wear that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but do you see an end of the line for you when you're going to be done hmm. wearing costumes? Um, there, I don't know. There was a time when I was telling myself, you know, hey, um, there's probably going to come a point where I'll stop doing this. You know, I mean, look, I don't want to be 60 still out there, you know, doing this kind of thing. Uh, not to call him out, because obviously we have great respect for him. Scott Sebring, he's he's ten years older than me. He's almost, I think he's like forty nine, almost. Uh, yeah, no. He's... And he does an like we've already said, amazing Batman, amazing Lone uh, Ranger. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, you know, and look, some of these costumes to do them right, if you want to be crazy, demands age. If you want to be a really good doctor, you need to be, you know, I That's mean, classic true. doctor, you need That's to be good in your fifties. Um, so there is that. There's a part of me going like, well, I happen to be gravitating to a fandom that, you know, where your lead character, at least in previous incarnations, caters to an older gent. 
So part of me thinks, no, I don't want to be doing this when I get older, just because you know you have preconceptions of what you, one should be doing when they're older. Yeah. But we all we are living in a new time and day and age. Yes. Um. So <coughs> I don't see it stopping soon. Um. You know, I I I do get great enjoyment out of it, but I mean, I've always planned at a certain point, at least with the Doctor Who costumes, to put them on display and say, okay, now they're going to be. For display and when I maybe when I need to put one on I can do it but for the most part they don't need to be brought out anymore they can be just living in a nice uh, mannequin um, but I do get a lot of enjoyment out of doing it I mean I, I told you about you know it's it is I mean look it has changed my life I met so many people through this hobby yeah that I wouldn't have met otherwise it's allowed me you know so many great moments like you know I don't think my meeting with Tom Baker would have gone the way it did if I was not wearing his costume absolutely uh, or all that great moment with Matt Smith wouldn't have happened if I wasn't in costume and I didn't wrangle 11 doctors to meet him um, and stuff like that. So there's been a lot of you know, big things, but I also recognize that there's still some people. I mean, look, we, that's another great thing about this day and age. Most people can look at it and say, oh, okay, it's fun and it's more acceptable. If we were doing this 10 or 20 years ago, oh my God, yeah, you're right. you'd have to be hiding <laughs> this. I mean, it's... Yeah. You'd have to be very careful who knew about it. There's still people at like my old job that I had to be very... You know, a little cagey with who had to find out I did what, or I had to kind of play it down, like because I know that some people still don't get it. Some people just still see it as what What are you doing? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, what is it? Scott always says? You know, look at the the crazy people that uh, paint themselves for football games. You know, that's a exceptionally good point. Yeah, you know, that's considered acceptable, but you know, oh, I want to dress up as a superhero at a convention. <laughs> you know, oh my God, you're crazy. I never really thought about it like that. Yeah. Because yeah. those guys at the ball game are also drunk and screaming like idiots. Right. You know, they're hardly, you know, the bashing of virtue here. So it's... Um... Maybe I should go to Gallifrey as a Packers fan. <laughs> oh my God. Wear a cheese head. There you go. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be good. Um, so yeah, no, I, I see myself uh, certainly doing this for a, a long time yet. As long as I'm picking characters that, that fit and I find the right venue. I, I think I might ramp it down a little. You know, there's a part of me that also wants to, uh, you know, decide, okay, is there, um, uh, is there another career path I should be focusing on that isn't costume related? Because that's sort of half of what I'm doing right now. Um, so it'll either end up being something that will totally take over in some other aspect. Like maybe I won't be dressing up as much. Maybe I'll be, you know, running more group runs or something. Uh, or yeah, if something else takes over, like, you know, in various forms, we've both been talking about writing. Uh, if, if in some way, fashion, uh, the, the writing takes over, then yeah, the costuming will have to take a back burner. You know I mean? It's, it's like phases in life, you know? Well, tell you what, um, I'm, I'm glad that you let me interview you. I have, I have tried and, uh, for the folks at home, Bob Bob doesn't want the focus on him necessarily, but this is a costuming uh, podcast, and Bob's the biggest costumer that I know, so I thought it was important. Is there anything that I have not <coughs> brought up that you, you feel uh, you would like to have shared with the world about your costuming experience or anything? I, I think... Um... I think it's because I'm a big believer that uh, people on a podcast, um, the focus should always be on the guest and not on the host. Sure, sure. Um, so, that's... but it's kind of like you know, it'd be like Christopher Reeve hosting a Superman podcast, <laughs> and they'd be well, like, "Listen, I don't want to talk about me. You know, let's, can we talk about uh, George Reeves?" I, I have cool? to see what you're saying, but you know, the other side of this argument is there's a lot of people who do extremely. Uh, creative work very hands-on who are actual tailors and seamstresses such as steve ricks or such as the work that brian and meta do or whatnot and while there's a good chunk of this i do or have helped doing and i'm learning to do with you know paul salamoff or uh a good chunk of um 
the master, uh, Deadly Assassin master costume I did, <coughs> uh, was a lot of hands-on work. So it's not like I don't do that, but I feel like in many ways I'm more of a researcher, information gatherer, um, commissioner of costumes than I am an actual maker of costumes. And well, so as such, I always feel like I... I don't know. It's I guess it, I guess in that respect, I always kind of feel like I'm not really the guy. I'm just the guy who can help point you to other guys. Does that make sense? I will allow you to take the modest route, but I will tell you that uh, myself and many other people look up to you for your costuming and what uh, what you provide, entertainment wise for us. So, okay. So we thank you. Then um, I'll just take that. <laughs> just, yeah. Right. So you usually ask people what they want to want to promote. Uh, you usually like to promote this podcast, which seems silly. It's like when you watch a commercial for a TV show during the TV show commercials. Yeah, you're right. So aside from the very podcast you're listening to, um, uh, definitely check out my blog, uh, honorarydoctor.livejournal.com. You should start linking that to the Facebook page. Um, yes. Um, and actually, I'm, I will be doing that when I get the Gallifrey report up. Excellent. And uh, I've got to shore up the remaining Zygon diaries as well. Um, so that'll be coming. Um, I also come on dwcosplay.com. So for anyone interested in Doctor Who cosplaying, uh, please go there. I mean, that's really about it. I have a Facebook page. People are happy to check out. I don't. It's weird. It's like on a certain. Lo- oh, and I I am on Twitter, but I'm barely on Twitter. It's uh. You have not followed me, by the way. I followed you, and you did not follow me back. I, I thought we were friends. I will. <laughs> sorry, Kevin. I will follow you. I promise. Okay. Um, I will, uh, and that's simply uh, uh, Bob, um, what is it, is Bob underscore Mitch? I believe, I believe so. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll link to all those. People are happy to, to check me out there. I mean, mostly it's the blog, and I'm, I'm easily found on Facebook and such. And uh, if, uh, if anything more happens, I'll let you know. But, yeah, no, it's, um, and the blog really, I mean, a good half of it gets <laughs> counterposted to DW Cosplay anyways. There's very, uh, very little under, under, um, crossover there but there is the the odd non-who thing i do that you know i can't put on dw cosplay so you have to go to the blog to see that um and i'm oh i'm in the middle of doing some group runs if people are interested uh always i feel like i always feel like no i have lulls no i don't have any lulls there's always a an overlap uh the peter davison sweaters kevin talked about are being delivered soon um so that'll be cool hopefully within the, the next week i'm told um and then um uh, let's see, I'm taking names for a uh, Tom Baker brooch run, the Painter's Palette from City of Death. Uh, people hmm. are interested. Uh, How we, much is that, do you know? Uh, 60 bucks. That's not bad. But they're hand done, you know, each. And limited run, 40 only. So we need 40 people, but then after that, that's it. No more. That's it. Done. So uh, we have 13 names. We need more. Uh, I'm taking names for another run of Sylvester McCoy question mark sweater vest. Really? Hey, there's the man. No, no, I love it. Yeah. Uh, how much is that? Uh, that'll run. I'm not. Every year they tend to up the price <clears> on me, but for the moment, assume it's going to be what the second run was, which was about 110 each. So um, uh, we have a ways to go there because it's it's a high minimum. But uh, I think we're up to about 40 names. So what's the minimum? Uh, about 100. Jeez. Yeah, but we'll get there. It just takes time. So we have that, and then uh, oh, we're going to be doing another run of McCoy umbrellas? Question mark umbrellas in a couple of months. Uh, we're almost at capacity on that one, but I'm happy to always take extra because there's always dropouts. And you know what? Maybe we'll do two runs. You know, if the if the demand is there, you know, we'll we'll cross the bridge. And uh, yeah, that's that's my, oh, and I'm about to do another run of the McGann waistcoat fabric, but that's pretty much spoken for at this point. So, uh, so there's always stuff like that going on. And check my blog for anything new in terms of runs and checking updates and stuff. Um, and if people have an idea for a run and you know it's something doable. I'll look into it. Uh, oh, we're doing Tom Baker waistcoats with a check houndstooth waistcoat. 
and those will be uh, in about a month. But I can take a few more add-ons for that. And um, I think we're going to look into the Season 18 waistcoat, too. And some people keep asking about the shirts, the Tom Baker shirts and Matt Smith shirts and the, the Pertwee shirts and stuff. And those can always happen. It just takes 10 people to say yes, and then we can push that through. Um, what was I going to say? I'll tell you one thing you did forget to talk about. I mean, look, as a child, I, I had all these costumes. And as an adult, uh, you know, the cosplay thing started with Greatest American Hero. The Doctor Who thing started at first with Tom Baker in 2004 with my thrift store bought costume. And then you threw down the gauntlet and I started right. putting together all these other costumes in 2007. And it just kind of expanded from there. But um, a lot of the costuming I did as a teenager and into my early 20s either had to do with, if it wasn't a Halloween party... It had to do with my student films that I used to do. Oh yes, and uh, there were some. There were a lot of times that I mean, look, the early stuff was it was what it was. I mean, we weren't spending money on costumes except for an alien mask, which was, I gotta say, for 1991, pretty sweet. Um, but uh, in '96, um, we did a time travel movie, and I remember having to go to various thrift stores and having to outfit people to look very '80s or very '70s. Nice. And so that was my first like foray into kind of doing that. And that was just careful shopping. But still, it was cool getting stuff. And keep in mind, though, in 96, when we were shooting stuff, we had people laughing at us in the street if we're dressed in the 70s thing, trying to look all like, right. oh, we're doing a 70s scene with a minivan and people are laughing at it. And I didn't care because I'm making my movie and I don't, you know. And then same year uh, at college, we did a superhero film called Captain Uniquity, which um, was a comedy. And uh, we put together a, we needed to put together a superhero costume, but we had limited budget. We're college students. So I bought a in-the-bag Superman costume. And uh, with the help of my mother and my sister-in-law, we sewed on a new logo over the Superman emblem. We changed out the yellow belt and added a white belt into the costume. Uh, and then we added a Union Jack, a literal Union Jack flag for the cape. Uh, we added some white gloves and a red mask, so it could hmm. be superhero esque, but not Superman, and you know, but it still incorporate all the colors of the Union Jack flag. So there was that, and then for the boots, I always love to tell this story. I think I told it before, but I'm telling it again. <laughs> um, in 1995 and 96, it was pretty much impossible to just go and find superhero boots. I mean, you're at the infancy of the internet, so you couldn't just go find you know the boot places you can get stuff now. You couldn't even get their, your basic costume boot that you can find on eBay now. You can get at least a passable, decent superhero Batman or Superman boot for 40 50 bucks. It's not the top of the line, but it gets you by. And there are places that will custom make you amazing boots for two or three hundred dollars. Well, back then, you just you just they just weren't around. And we wanted real boots because we knew the boot coverings were not going to cut it. So, and socks weren't going to cut it. And you know, I couldn't even find good rain gloss boots. I mean, you know, everything was failing me. So luckily I had a friend who kind of worked in costumes through um, a company. And they were in touch with the people that did the boots for the Power Rangers. Nice. And so <laughs> under the table, they weren't allowed to do this. <laughs> under the table, using the Power Ranger pattern, they made me a pair of plain red vinyl boots. And I remember I paid a whopping $75 for these boots wow. in, two, or in 1996. And that way, of course, 75 to a college student was big money, but we had to have these boots. And we were really happy with them. I mean, I'm they sure. were very basic. They just zipped up the back and da da da. <coughs> Unfortunately, the time took their toll on them and they, they, the vinyl like peeled all off of them by about, I don't know, 05 or 06. And I've kind of junked them since then. But they, um, they were good boots. And I remember when we made it, half the compliments we ever got about that movie <laughs> was, hey, those were great boots, you know? And uh, 
So that was that was good stuff. Having to source those boots and going to this random like sweatshop in the middle of the valley. How long was your was your movie? Well, um, the well we did a trailer that was you know standard three minutes. And the movie itself, had it been properly finished, it was never finished. Finished um, would have probably run around forty minutes. This was for a school project. Uh, well, I did a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, kind of for school, but I mean, it wasn't for a class, if that makes any sense. I don't think it does. Okay. Um, when I was uh, in high school and college, I basically made a lot of movies, but very few of them were actually for a class. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was just something you did at school with school people. And but some you, you school your... equipment, but yes. Okay. But, well, mm-hmm. no, no, okay, that makes total sense. There you go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was that. So we did a lot of movies like that. Unfortunately, we kind of stopped doing those around 98, and we did a handful of others... Um, over Christmases between 06 and 09. And uh, same kind of thing, though. I remember when we had to put together costumes for uh, a little thing that you can find on YouTube called The Ornament Outlaw. We're describing stuff either from my like my old Zorro cape, and a friend of mine had, a, had like a vinyl, or not a vinyl, a velvet like sorceress cape, and we grabbed that. And uh, she had this crazy like um, rainbow-colored dress that she'd had for like a World's Fair or something. We grabbed that and we literally took a god's eye I made when I was like 10 and we wrapped it in her hair to make like a hair piece. And my friend Eric uh, does some Ren Faire costuming sometimes. So we use one of his Ren Faire kind of knight uh, kind of things and we use a curtain rod for a wizard staff. And, you know, I mean, it was fun in that respect because it brought me back to when I was a kid and you're just throwing crap together from what's in your closet. Yeah. And uh, granted, our closets are a little deeper now and with various costuming stuff. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, doing costuming for the for these little movies has been just as much fun as, as doing a convention. But it's kind of backwards that I probably have spent more money on convention costuming than on daily wear, which is really <laughs> backwards, uh, or on on costumes that should be seen on on camera. Except of course for things like the Big Kubowski, which I mean that's not what they were designed for. But there you have it. There. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Costume Station Zero, and it's only fitting that this Bob Mitch-centered podcast take place on your birthday. Thank you very much. How old are you, Bob Mitch? 507. No, I'm kidding. It's, uh, I'm 36. 36. A wee child. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you so much for letting me uh, take your hosting seat. I was, uh, it was a priv- privilege to interview you. Um, for Costume Station Zero, this is Kevin Kittredge signing off. We'll be right back.